Our reading this evening is taken from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Further instructions. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Good, if you want to keep your Bibles open then, at Colossians chapter 4. I don't know whether we've got the words on the screen. I don't think we have. So it's in the Bibles um, this evening, which is great. Let me read to you verse 5 again uh, before I pray and before we look at this passage together. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Heavenly Father, we're aware that ever so often in life we are not wise in the way that we act. We see our failings, we see our failure to speak, we see our our failure to live up to the standard that Christ has set before us. Heavenly Father, I pray this evening that as we look at these words they would both comfort us and challenge us. Um, They'd give us a little kick where we need to. And Lord, we pray above all else that these words uh, would have a genuine effect in our hearts. They would change us, they would shape us, and they would send us out into the world to be different, to be distinct for you. And Lord, would we make the most of every opportunity you give us, this opportunity now, but every opportunity you give us in life, that we would show with our lives that we love you and that we want to follow you with all our hearts. So, Father, please give us minds that are able to engage and look at this this evening. Give us hearts that that want to be changed and put it into practice in the world. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm going to begin by asking you a question. And you probably think it's a fairly random question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Here's the question. Why are you here this evening? Why are you sat here now in front of me, listening to me speak when you could be doing so many other things, right, on a Sunday evening. Why are we gathered here in Long Crendon? This little village, a community of people, have come together on a Sunday evening and it's replicated all across the world, right? Little local communities of people meeting together. Here's the question, why? To what end? To what purpose do we meet here this evening? In short, what's the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of us gathering here this evening? One of the best definitions uh, that I've heard, it's by no means complete, but it's a good definition that helped me understand what we're all about as the church. And from Colossians 4, 2 to 6, it strikes at the very heart of Paul's words in terms of why we meet together. And it's a definition that Martin Lloyd-Jones once wrote about. I don't know whether you know him, he's an old boy, he's gone now in fact. So he wrote a long time ago, but in his article, he he referred to the church as a field hospital. And I don't know whether that adds any clarity to you this evening. It didn't to me at first, but if you'd lived around the time of World War I, it would have done. Because the field hospital, it was basically the first aid tent, just withdrawn from the front line where the fighting was happening. Because the fighting was happening out there. That's where the soldiers were standing strong and were living for the cause. And just 30 metres back behind the front line lay the field hospital where the wounded soldiers were dragged back and looked after. 
And you see the field hospital, it was no five-star accommodation. It wasn't a hotel with a jacuzzi and a swimming complex and a nice comfortable place where you come back and relax for a decent amount of time. It was a place with a purpose. The field hospital was a place where the wounded soldiers were taken from the front line and they were looked after, they were cared for, they were fed, they were watered, they were bound up for one reason, to get back out there on the front line. To get back out there and serve the cause for which they've signed up for. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, hey, this is why the church exists, in part. Because the front line for the Christian is out there in the world. It's out there, young people, in your schools, because it's tough, right? If you're a Christian, it's tough living for Christ in your schools. As you get older, it gets no easier, right? In your workplace, in your social context, in your sports team, in your family home for some of you. It is tough making a stand for Christ and standing up there and saying, this is who I am. I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus in the world. And if you do that, you're putting yourself in a place where you're willing to be shot down. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says, hey, the church is a little retreat and you don't retreat there for long. But just for a moment, you're off the front line out from being in the world where it's tough standing for Christ and you come back here and you are fed from God's word and you are loved and you are cared for and you are looked after and you meet with fellow believers and you encourage one another and you pray for each other. Why? To get back out there into the world. So we can be out there in the world rubbing shoulders with people who haven't yet understood who Jesus is. And that's maybe some of you in here this evening as well. That is great. But we don't want to be stuck in here. We want to be in here to be looked after, to be challenged, to be comforted by God's word so that we can go out. So we can go out into the world and make a stand for Christ. To be different, right? To be distinct. To stand out from, for Christ in the world. And it's my hope this evening as we look at Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6, that it would do just that. It may give us a little kick, maybe an arm around the shoulder and a comfort, but something of the truths of what Paul communicates to this church in Colossae would remain in our hearts and enable us to live differently for him in the world. I'm going to read it to you again. It's only five verses because we're going to pick this up in three different parts. And I want you to see as I read it out again, have a look down in your Bibles as you follow with me. I think there's three areas of our life that Paul says we should keep a close watch over. If we want to be a people that are distinct, are different for Jesus Christ in this world, then there's three areas of our life that we've got to keep a close watch over. Let me read it again, see if you can see them. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Three areas of life. First, in verse 2 to 4, it's your prayer life. Paul says, if we want to be effective for Jesus in this world, we've got to keep a close watch over our prayer life. Verses 2 to 4. Secondly, verse 5, over our lifestyle, our conduct or our actions, as he says in verse 5. I've got to keep a close watch over how I'm living in this world. How will the people looking in at me see me? And what will they make of Jesus as they look at me? 
And thirdly, in verse 6, you see it there, your conversation, your speech. If I want to be effective for Jesus in this world, I've got to keep a close watch over the words that I use with my mouth. Three areas of life. And let's understand here, before we look at them, I want you to hear this loud and clear. These things do not make you a Christian. You're not a Christian because you pray a lot for lost people. You're not a Christian because you live a good life in the world. You're not a Christian because you tell people about Jesus. As we look at these things tonight, they do not make you a Christian. You're a Christian if you trust in what Jesus Christ has already done for you. If you've trusted in what Jesus has done. But if you have, if you trust in Christ, then it should begin to affect all you do, right? That's how the book of Colossians is set up. Chapters 1 and 2, it's all about who Jesus is and what he's done. And the more I understand Colossians chapters 1 and 2, the more it will affect every single part of my life, my work life, my school life, my sport life, everything. That's Colossians chapter 3 and 4. And in chapter 4, verse 2 and 6, Paul homes in and says, this is what it will now look like for you as a Christian, if you're a Christian here this evening, as you live alongside people who don't yet know Jesus. It's you being out there in the world. And he says, keep a close watch over those three areas of your life. Firstly, let's go through um, our prayer life. Look how it begins in verse 2. You don't have to get too far before you feel a little ouch here, maybe. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote. To be given over to. Wholeheartedly. Praying. Earnestly. wonder whether that describes your prayer life for people who don't know Jesus. The word can literally mean addicted. Devoted to be addicted to praying for people that don't know Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine waking up in the morning before you're doing anything else and you so understand the gospel, you so understand who Jesus is and you so love your friends, you so love your family that you can do nothing but fall down before God and say, God, please, God, please, would you do a work that only you can do in their lives? Would we be a people devoted to praying for people that don't know Jesus? Just imagine if we were. And see, I think we'll come to this point the more we understand who God is. Because until I understand that salvation, people coming to know Jesus, is ultimately God's work, I'm not going to be driven to my knees in prayer. My mate Hoppy, been praying for him for eight years, trying to witness to him, I love him to pieces. I've grown up from secondary school, age of 12. Since age 12, I've known Hoppy. And I want him to be in heaven. I want Hoppy to be in heaven. I want to see him there. But you know what? He's been on a Christianity Explore course. We've gone through the Bible together. He can communicate the gospel better than most Christians, but it's just in his head. He can understand it academically, but it's not in his heart, you see. I'm not capable of changing Hoppy's heart. You're not capable of changing your friend's heart. It's a wonderful privilege that God gives us to join him in this work, that we would pray, that we would live our lives, that we would speak about Jesus. But I can't take God's spirit and throw it into my friend's heart. I can't do that. That's God's job. And the more I understand that, will I not drop before him each morning and say, God, please, will you do what only you can do? Because I cannot do it. Will we be a people devoted 
to prayer. And then he goes on in verse 3 and 4. What is he asking for prayer for? Look, verse 3. And pray for us too. This is Paul asking the Colossian church. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, the gospel for which I am in chains. Paul asked the church if they would pray for him. If they would pray for him that God would fling open the door to present opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to tell the world about Jesus. What does that look like for you? A couple of applications, I think, isn't there? Firstly, you as a church praying for your leaders, for Jeff, for Neil, for Paddy when he's back around here, sometimes. Are you praying for these people who have been put in positions where they're publicly declaring the gospel? I hope so. I really hope so, because they need your help in that. They really do. But maybe the most important application for you this evening, are you praying for each other and are you praying for yourselves that God would grant you opportunities every single day to tell people about Jesus? Because if you are a Christian, the moment you trust him, it is your joy and it is your privilege that you can share that same message that has changed your life with others. Would you pray? And I know for me, part of me doesn't pray that because part of me doesn't want the opportunities, right? If you've ever been there sometimes and you may ask you a question and you're on the spot and all of a sudden conversation goes quiet, you've maybe been there and all your eyes turn to you like that, they're all looking at what they're going to say and you can feel your stomach twisting gradually, can't you? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? And it, it's horrible when you're exposed in that situation, right? Anyone ever been there? When you're exposed, you don't know what to say. And so part of me doesn't even pray for opportunities because part of me doesn't want to because I'd rather live a comfortable life. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be on the spot in life all the time. Which is why Paul goes on in verse 4 that we don't only pray for opportunities. What else do we pray for in verse 4? Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We're not just praying for opportunities and open doors. We're praying that when that time comes, we'll grab it with both hands. We'll grab hold of that moment and ever so simply, ever so clearly, in a language people can understand, we'll tell them why exactly Jesus Christ matters so much. Imagine if churches all across the world really held to these few verses that we're looking at here devoted to praying for opportunities and praying for God's help when that time comes. I'm going to challenge you tonight, which is maybe not my job because I've just waltzed in for the evening, but I'm going to, and I'm going to challenge myself as well. What about this week? Every time you get up in the morning, before you do anything else, before you clean your teeth, before you look in the mirror, before you get your shreddies, before you look after the kids, get them up, whatever you have to do, before you do any of that, what about waking up, reminding yourself of who Jesus is, reminding yourself of a friend that really matters to you, and getting down on your knees and praying for them? Imagine that. Imagine us all beginning to do that. We'll come back next Sunday. There could be a few conversations, tea and coffee after the service. Whoa, had an opportunity this week. Don't know how well I did, but I had an opportunity and I tried to say something about Jesus. Imagine that. Imagine if we did that as a community of believers, meeting together and encourage each other to do this day in, day out. Would we see things happen? I reckon we would. Because God's a gracious God and he does answer our prayers. That's the first part. Pray. That's probably the longest part. But that's the first part of your life that I think Paul says, hey, keep a close watch over. 
What's the second one? Verse 5, let me read it to you. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. You see, Paul moves from an area of life that's pretty much unseen. No one knows how each other's doing in that area. It's an unseen area of life most of the time. To an area that's very seen and very public. Our actions, our attitude, our conduct in the world. How do people see you? And what do they make of Jesus when they do? In Christian sport we call this play. Because that's what we're talking about. We talk about how we live, how we act in the world of sport. But you broaden it out. It's any, it's any area of life, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you are. It just matters how you are for Jesus. In your office on Monday morning, in the staff room, at break time at school, in your sports team, back home around the kitchen table with your family, every single context of life, how are you living? Are you being wise in the way that you act towards outsiders? One of my other best mates, Davo, he's probably the coldest out of all my friends to the gospel. Whenever church, Jesus, Christianity, even approaches conversation. It's like the shutters come down straight away. He's been a friend from the age of 12 as well. And until a couple of years ago, I hadn't really pinpointed why that was the case. I knew that his mum and dad had split up when he was very young. But what I found out a couple of years ago was his mum actually ran off with the vicar of the local church. A little village, Leapwater, it's called, just in Warwickshire. It's a village of about 500 people, 1,000 people tops. It's small. You can imagine the conversation going around. So painful for Davo. Ever so painful. And you see, any time now that the Christian faith is mentioned, or the church is mentioned, his mind just goes bang, bang. The most painful thing he's ever experienced in life, and he blames the church because of that one action or that ongoing action that happened. You see, the way that we live as Christians will reflect upon the one whom we follow, right? The way that I will live will reflect upon Christ. He's my leader. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Guess what your friends see first? They see you. Most of your friends will make their first judgment on Jesus based upon you and how you're living and your actions. It's reality. And it works positively or negatively, right? If I live in a way that dishonours Jesus, it it doesn't do him any favours whatsoever. But if we step out there into the world and are wise, we live in a godly way, we want to represent Jesus, we want to live for him, then it's going to reflect well upon Jesus. And maybe as your friends see that, they say, like I did with my mate at uni, really, that was the first thing. I saw something different, I thought, there's maybe something in this. And then the opportunity to talk came later. But often the first thing is your lifestyle. It's the way that you're living in the world. And then he goes on, second part of verse 5, make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, non-Christians, people outside the body of Christ. And make the most of every single opportunity. Life is precious, right? Is life not precious? One mate described to me once that this life is like a, a priceless gem wedged between two eternities. There's eternity gone there and there's an eternity to come. And this life is fleeting and it is short. And it is priceless because what we do with this life really matters and it really has implications for eternity. 
Paul says, know it, understand it, this life is fleeting in the scheme of eternity, right? 70, 80 years, grab hold of the moment. Grab hold of this moment you've been given in life. Grab hold of every single moment God gives you. Every single day in your school is an opportunity. Every single day in your workplace is an opportunity. Every single day in your home. Every single day in Long Crendon is an opportunity to make Jesus known in this place. And friends, people need to know him. They desperately need to know him. I wonder if I was to say to you now, in your heads, to think... Over, back over the course this week, every single person you've bumped shoulders with that doesn't know Jesus, that's a lot of people, isn't it? It's a lot of people. And Paul says, are we grabbing those moments? Are we grabbing those moments because life is precious and it matters? It matters for eternity. Pray, play or lifestyle. And then finally our third one, is our conversation, is say, pray, play, say. That play for you could be anywhere in life. It's just the way you live, wherever you are. But finally, Paul draws our attention to our conversation. Look in verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation be always full of grace, always affected by what Jesus has done for you. It doesn't mean every other word you say is Jesus or the cross or anything like that. It means every word that passes out of your lips is affected by grace. It's affected by what Jesus has done for you already. Season with salt. I'm not the greatest in the kitchen. Neither is my wife, Anne. But she assures me, she assures me that salt, correct me if I'm wrong here, salt brings out the true flavour of a meal, right? You add a bit of salt, it doesn't change the ingredients, what's in there, it just brings out the full flavour of the ingredients, yeah? And that's what Paul says we do with the Gospel. We're not there to change the Gospel. I don't want to change the ingredients of the Gospel, they're the greatest ingredients ever. Christ came down from heaven and died for me on a cross to take away my sin, then rose again. There's no better ingredients, right? But Paul says, let your conversation be full of salt. Let it bring out the flavour. So when I talk about Christ and when I'm living in life, people can see a joy in me because I know I'm going to heaven and nothing can touch that. Will the way that we speak, will the way that we live bring out the full flavour and majesty of the Gospel because the Gospel is magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. And will our words just bring out something of that richness? And if they do, last part of verse 6, so you may know how to answer everyone. So that you would be ready when that opportunity comes. And trust me, it will come. If you're on your knees praying for opportunities and living distinctly and differently in this world, the opportunities will come. Sometimes we miss them, but they're there. They're there all the time, in fact. And when they do, are you ready in that moment to hold out the only truth that matters? That Jesus Christ died for sinners of which I'm the worst. Will you hold out that truth to people that desperately need to hear it? And when I say ready, I don't mean you, young people, charging into your school on Monday morning, standing up in period three and saying, excuse me everybody, I've got something really important to say, listen in, boom, and you open the Bible and launch into a 20 minute thing in the middle of maths. I'm not saying that. If that's you, great. If that's you at work in your staff room, Great, cool, I'm happy with that. That's not me. 
I'm more one-to-one with my mates. And I think that's the heart of what Paul is saying. People are in different positions, different roles, but he says we've all got a responsibility. You, in the quietness of a relationship with your best friend, living differently so that when they ask you, when Hoppy asks me again, well, explain it to me once again, will you? I can say, Hoppy, here it is, with gentleness, with respect, with love, with care, with concern, but with an urgency. With an urgency, because I really want Hoppy to know the truth. I really want Davo to know the truth. And I guess the question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready? Because it is tough, right? Look where Paul is in verse 3. Is he right? Where is he? Someone tell me. He's in chains. He's in jail. Why? For proclaiming the gospel. If we start living like this, every second of the day, opposition will come your way. Fact, it always does. I'm not expecting you to get banged up in prison in Long Crendon, start the 21st century. Opposition comes in different ways, but it will come. There was opposition to Christ, there was opposition to Paul, and there's opposition to every single person that stood up for Jesus, come after him. It is tough, tough, tough trying to stand up for Jesus, which is why we finish where we've begun. This place is a field hospital. This place is where you retreat because you're giving your all for Christ every moment of the day. We're seeking to do it and we'll mess up, right? I'll mess up. I'll fail to take opportunities. I'll live badly. I'll forget to pray for my mates, which is why I fall back on grace, yeah? These things do not make you a Christian. You're a Christian because of what Christ has already done for you. He's done it. He's died on the cross and he says, now, when you grasp that, get out there and live for me. And church is key to that, right? Because it's good to come here to be reminded as we sing together, as we look at the words and we rejoice in the God that has sent Jesus to die for us. And we give each other a little arm around the shoulder and we go, go on then, get out there. Because we can talk about it all we want in here, but that doesn't matter at the end of the day. It doesn't matter talking about it. It matters when we put it into action out there in the world. And so the challenge is, will we? Monday morning, it's maybe where the rubber hits the road for most of us. Will you be distinct and different for Christ then when it really counts?